G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. And into some deep waters once again today as we come around conversation about the voice. Get ready because shortly we'll open our talkback line. You might like to contribute. You might have a question. You might have a comment or even a critique for the conversation. Get ready. We'll have our talkback lines open probably around about 10 minutes or so from now. An opportunity to explore the religious dimensions of the proposal for The Voice. It might appear that very few Australians know anything at all about the deeper proposal to entrench a consultative body known as The Voice in the Australian Constitution. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has promised to deliver the recommendations of the Uluru Statement from the Heart starting with the voice. A no case has been concerned that a Makarata commission indicates movement towards a treaty and onto the process of truth-telling about Australia's history of colonisation. We're going to be talking about a new book today that highlights the religious dimensions of the voice proposal. It's called The Spirit Behind the Voice. Two guests joining us, both contributors to the book, Dr. Augusto Zimmerman, who is Head of Law at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth, and the Reverend Dr. Bob Gregory, former pastor and Christian school principal and managing director of a Christian curriculum company. First of all, a welcome to you, Dr. Augusto Zimmerman. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And to uh, the Reverend Dr. Bob Gregory, welcome to you, Bob. Thanks, Neil. It's great to be with you. Uh, Well, congratulations on the book uh, to the two of you, contributors to there. And I might say up front, uh, I was honoured too to be able to make a contribution of a chapter into this book as well. But let me ask you, and I'll come to you first, Augusto Zimmerman, as editor of this book, uh, people of goodwill, and we could say including Christians, we might even say especially Christians, want the best outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Uh, What are your thoughts here, Augusto, around motivations for a book like this? Look, uh, I think the the main thing, as you have mentioned, is to uh, expose the truth of the matter. Uh, We want to make it very clear that you love our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, and you want the best for this nation. We just think that this approach is quite divisive, and it's not really going to achieve the promised outcome. So uh, in, in the name of uh, real reconciliation and equality, we think that the voice proposal uh, is undesirable. And uh, we try to explain this book and give the Christian reasons as to why people should vote no, ultimately. So ultimately, if this was something being legislated, 
probably no one would bat an eyelid, but because the Constitution is involved, and that's a permanence, uh, then we ought to be very considerate of how that change might affect the whole of the nation. Uh, Bob, when we talk about Australians and the way this has been pitched to the Australian public, I know that in your article you like to say that uh, Aussies love to champion the underdog and of course Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are considered to be the underdog here and this will be some level of solution. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, thanks for that, Neil. It's it's an interesting point. We we do love to champion the underdog and... and um, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, are, are, I mean, across the board in the main, are wonderful people. And it's somewhat of a disgust in my mind that a nation as wealthy as Australia has not done a lot better in our, uh, in our bringing forward their needs and meeting their needs on a local level, uh, which could have very easily been done by any of our governments over the past decades, but has not. So my question would be to our viewers, what change would it make to put a, a, a constitutional change in place and would that change the behaviour of the government? And I think not. And interesting as you reflect on the history of our governments, whether they be federal governments or state governments, uh, and the suggestion even, uh, you know, and some might argue with that, uh, it should have been easy to help fix uh, some of the challenges that have been happening in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, but they have not been fixed. But coming back to this constitution... Uh, and some areas of your specialty around understanding legal positions uh, around constitutions, Augusto, uh, the constitution being used as a tool to foster unity, uh, but something in this sort of change would actually alter that fostering of unity. How do you see things if there were to be a change? Well, uh, I think it's a, it's a very, very extremely valid point, uh, Neil. We know that we have uh, some excellent uh, Aboriginal members of parliament. Uh, Jacinta Price is one of those. And the book has the foreword by his mother, uh, Bess Price. And we think it is intrinsically uh, associated, this idea of the voice, with separation, with, with segregation even because um, it gives uh, or sends the wrong or false uh, impression that uh, uh, people here needs to, they need to be divided into ethnic lines and that uh, Aborigines, Aborigines cannot perhaps, perhaps potentially uh, eventually become uh, uh, or aspire for greater things, such as, for instance, to one day uh, become a prime minister in this country. Or who knows if we can have in the future a premier in Western Australia who is uh, of an Aboriginal blood. I just don't understand why they have to be segregated to a consultative body that's not necessarily going to be forming the real parliament, but actually potentially uh, blocking the passage of bills. Uh, and we know that they might not even have the necessary democratic legitimacy to do so, because we do not know also uh, how these uh, 
consultative body will be uh, will be constituted. We do not know what kind of people will be representing them. And we know also, I must say, just to conclude, that this borders racism, when you tell me that they have to think in one certain way, because you know that uh, Caucasians think in a different manner. But I would say the same about the Aborigines. If every single person has a different uh, view of the world, why on earth you have to believe that they have to think exactly the same? And also, who is, uh, after all, going to be comprising this consultative party. That's why I have my suspicions about this. The thought that the Constitution already has uh, in uh, in black and white uh, the fostering of unity and that change from that position leaves open the risk of uh, disunity and uh, even, as you say, Augusto, a segregation, uh, some might be saying, is there need for an amendment? But uh, there is a certain sense in the spirit of people who will have been called on to vote yes, in the spirit of that, which which a lawyer just concerned, <laughs> I can just hear your, uh, your, uh, your mind uh, ticking over now because uh, the spirit of something isn't the same as what happens when it is then actually cemented in law. Uh, but the, the need for change, is there a need for a change here? And if equality is already there, doesn't that create in its sense an automatic inequality? Bob, have you been thinking through the issues around equality and inequality and what might happen with this new in- inclusion in our constitution? I've thought a lot about that, Neil, actually. And, and one of the points I make in my chapter in the book is that Australians as a whole overwhelmingly voted to remove the concept of race from our constitution. Until 1967, uh, when we had that famous referendum to remove the the block from our constitution to Aboriginals being counted in, in our census, uh, Australians by a 97% majority overwhelmingly said, we want to be one race and one people and and uh, or one nation and one people I, I should say and this is actually going directly against that it's now placing race directly back into the constitution in a manner which as augusto mentioned is going to divide the nation and uh, i think australians need to be very wary of that Augusto, as a migrant yourself uh, and the thoughts of what happened back in 1967 uh, when there was, uh, to most people's understanding, a correcting of early areas, uh, early errors, uh, you know, around white Australia policy, those sorts of things, uh, where Aboriginal people were excluded from the Constitution. Did 1967 actually set things right, or is there more fixing that is required? No, there is no fixing to be required. There is a provision in the Constitution, obviously, referring to the fact that some racial groups might need to be assisted. But that's not for racial uh, or racist reasons whatsoever. It's just to make sure that if someone is in need in this nation, uh, the government might step in. Obviously, I see a problem if the government doing too much, because uh, you know that ever since we had... Uh, the so-called welfare state, the, the condition of the Aboriginal community and other 
persons in Australia, uh, this condition has not necessarily improved. So in many ways, um, uh, as we say, uh, hell is paved with good intentions. And you have these people trying in the name of helping them, actually keeping them in slavery and, and, and bondage. I can tell you that the Aborigines, if they really want to have self-determination, the last thing they need is someone to give them a voice and to give them a consultative committee. That's actually going the wrong way, in my opinion. In fact, Augusto, you take uh, quite a bit of time in your contribution to this new book uh, where you deal with this issue around the welfare state. And I know that some will say, well, the welfare state, that's something that actually has Christian foundations as well. Uh, But the thought of uh, continually uh, putting welfare in the hands of people who are disadvantaged may actually work uh, in a counterintuitive way and uh, in fact uh, enslave people to welfare and you think this is one of the areas that could have been easily fixed well look at that this is what uh, when i was the associate dean for research at murdoch gabriel moyes was the dean and he made a joke saying if you want to fix uh, to not have a problem solved because you would get you know some of these radicals proposing novelties that uh, we thought they were not the most desirable for the law school. Uh, he was make this joke, say, let's set up a committee and let's have a discussion on the subject. Uh, I mean, as soon as you start to recruit all these people who um, are very well paid to fix a problem, guess what? The problem is never solved. And, you know, the, the welfare state has been very good for the parasitical bureaucrats who actually profit at the expense of people's misery. I think we have to review this concept. Another thing I have to say is that people have then decided to expect too much of government in Australia, and that's a form of idolatry that is dooming our nation. And over the last two years, we have seen what governments can do. I think these elites or ruling classes are so departed from the people that they think that we have not forgotten what they have done to us over the last two years or so is so many lies that have caused so much trouble to our nation. Uh, Bob, just to pick up on uh, a comment that you'd like to make around what is likely ahead, if there is a yes vote, this thought of an Aboriginal industry and uh, what might be ahead of us. What are your thoughts here? I, I think... If people who have been viewing this for a long time, Neil, have noticed that there have been billions and billions of dollars thrown at our Indigenous people, and that money has been administered by uh, elites who have embedded themselves within the system, within Canberra, lobbyists and and, and uh, so-called Aboriginal leaders. And I say so-called because... Uh, A program on SBS just a couple of weeks ago identified the fact that of the around 800,000 Australians that identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, 300,000 of those are fake. And uh, many of the folk who find themselves within this this industry in Canberra are actually these fake Aboriginals. Um, They lobbied the federal government for a grant for Wilcannia. Now, um, Wilcannia is is uh, in northwestern New South Wales, 
and it has the dubious uh, credential of, be, of, of having the lowest expected lifespan amongst our Aboriginal folk of anywhere in the world. The expected lifespan in, in Wilcannia is 34 years. So this group lobbied government for Wilcannia and the government agreed to what the lobbyists wanted. I should add, by the way, that the reason the lifespan is so short is because the water in Wilcannia is poisoned. Mm. They don't have clean, fresh water that enables them to build a substantial life. So Canberra granted the lobbyists' wishes and gave them $7 million for an art gallery. Okay, so we're seeing a contradiction there in money that could have been spent to clean up the water supply uh, but was spent on something that would be substantial, almost a memorial to the fact that a grant was made. Okay, taking calls on 1-800-316-316, religious dimensions around The Voice. Uh, Let's take a call or two. Karen is in Orange in New South Wales. Hi, Karen. Welcome along. Hello, Karen. Are you with us? Yes, I am. I was, I was just listening as I was heading out of town. And the thing is this, for me, is that when you said about all the money that's gone into the, um, into the Aboriginal, uh, in Parliament and all of that, for one, all that money that has been put into that could have made homes for them. And number two... Where the other man, the author said about, and I've just got to pull off the road now that I've got you, where the author just said too about how, um, and now I'm trying to remember what, he, what it was he said, um, we, uh, this whole world to me has become so material that the, the point I wanted to get at was how come we can improve cars every year to make cars safer, um, make our lives cheaper, make our lives easier and we've become so materialised in the world and all the money that's gone into that to making our needs met better, yet when it comes to our personal personal needs that um, not only the Aborigines need, all these homeless people today, yet all that money that's going through government to do um, uh, investigations, whatever the right words are, is wasted money. And where this issue is with the Aborigine thing, I'm frightened that if that all happens, we're going to be more segregated. And it's because we... Karen, you're making some good points here. Let me come back to Bob. You were making a comment about something that Bob said there. But this thought that everything has become materialistic, it's all about the money, there needs to be other dimensions in there. Uh, Bob, your thoughts for our caller, Karen? Uh, interesting points, Karen, and, and well made. And, and I recall a uh, comment that was made by one of our senators, one of our Western Australian senators, Matt O'Sullivan. Uh, Matt actually was a student of mine back in the in the day when I was principal at uh, at uh, what was then Thornley Christian College. But Matt was visiting the Aboriginal folk up in the Pilbara in Western Australia. And his comment was, what they need is local decisions for local needs. There, there is not one voice that is going to solve all of the problems of all of the Indigenous folk within the nation. Local people need local solutions based on their local needs. And, and if there is a voice 
for the Aboriginal people. It needs to be independent voices to caring government who will meet the needs at that point. And Karen's absolutely right. There's there's literally billions of dollars being thrown out into the Indigenous community, but the individuals on the ground where the needs are needing to be met are not seeing any of it. And so my question is, where is it going? Okay, Karen in Orange, thank you so much for your call. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's squeeze in another call before we go to news. And just uh, let's hear from Brian, who's in Western Australia. Hi, Brian. Yeah, g'day, bloke. Um, I have uh, permission from Sharon Long to um, share something that she said regarding her experience in the Northern Territory. Uh, you may know that Sharon is related to Jacinta, uh, Senator Price. Um, and this is something she said. She said, um, in the Aboriginal world, our land council directors and executives drive around in $100,000 land cruisers while their own mob are homeless outside the door in the truest form. For example, the Northern Land Council headquarters in Darwin is a familiar homeless person's sleeping spot on night. Um, now, look, what I'd say about this... Brian, is that- really short on time here. We're about to go to news. Uh, plenty to work with there. And I'll come to Augusto. Is there a contradiction here? And is this something that is just now just coming to light uh, when you've got government department leaders or just uh, ordinary public servants driving around in the $100,000 vehicle and there's homeless people sleeping outside the door. Yeah, that's exactly what I had uh, explained uh, or tried to mention before. It is uh, a very uh, terrible thing when you notice that uh, some uh, groups are actually profiting at the expense of others' misery. And you know that this um, sort of uh, uh, assistance provided by the government sustains a bureaucratic elite or class that that doesn't really want to necessarily have a solution for the problem because otherwise they lose their jobs in the first place. So uh, you know that the welfare state actually incentivizes certain patterns of behavior that are counterproductive. Because when we start to be depending on government, you cease to be an individual with autonomy, with the capacity to make your own decisions, looking after yourself. Let's continue to take some calls as listeners have their own thoughts to contribute. Lawrence is in Perth, WA. Hi, Lawrence. Welcome along. Oh, thank you very much. I think the term reconciliation is significant as Christians. But who decides when reconciliation takes place? How will it be proclaimed if the voice goes through with a yes? If it is, a body called the voice will no longer be needed. So if reconciliation happens in, say, 30 to 40 years' time, will Australians be able to vote in another referendum to remove the voice from the Constitution? Uh, good thoughts in there, Lawrence. You raise a number of points. Uh, let me come to, uh, to uh, Dr Bob Gregory for a few moments here. Uh, thoughts here on reconciliation, and uh, there are those who are saying, even as Lawrence is agreeing, uh, that there might be some challenges into the future. What if it works and what if it doesn't? That, of course, is one of the great issues that, that we have with the concept of the voice, is that once it's enshrined in the Constitution, there is it's almost impossible to remove it. And so any movement towards... Uh, 
bringing an equality between the people of Australia and our, our you know, Aboriginal brothers and sisters needs to be done by some other means than putting it into a constitutional setting which makes it impossible to remove. Interesting. I think in your article, Bob, you actually say there is no such thing as a sunset clause in any of the Correct. things that happen with a constitution. Uh, coming to Augusto Zimmerman here, um, if things do go astray, as some of these things have happened in the past, um, thoughts of the inclusion of a sunset clause, or you just don't get that when you when you deal with constitutions because it's all decided by referendum? Yeah, that's the point. Another thing you have to consider is the obvious fact that uh, we have only the right to say yes or no to the things that the ruling classes impose on us. So uh, as soon as they manage to get this through, uh, I'm not going to be naive enough to believe they'll give us a second chance to change our minds. Amendments are proposed by by the parliament, and we have only... Uh, the, the only right that the people have is to uh, decide on a matter that has been uh, discussed at the level of the parliament. So uh, we are not going to have the chance to revisit this matter once the voice is uh, entrenched in the constitution. And I must say again that the outcome can be quite tragic, in my opinion, as a uh, me and the other authors have explained in this book. Lawrence in Perth, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Sterling in Ararat in Victoria. Hi, Sterling. Welcome. Hi, Neil. Thanks. Yeah, look, I'll be as quick as I can. Um, out here in Western Victoria, the main road that runs between Melbourne and Adelaide required upgrade. Uh, it, it was in the courts for three years. Activists tried to put a stop to it because of a birth tree that would have been cut down. The activists actually won in the Supreme Court and the, and the roadworks have been completely abandoned. Very needed upgrades. I've got two questions to ask your panel. Firstly, if this is what we see before The Voice, can we expect this to be more broadly applied across, across the country when it comes time to open up new parcels of land for, uh, you know, residential upgrade freeways, build new um, dams? And the second question is, are we seeing a paganistic type of earth worship um, coming into the mainstream? Okay, let's take uh, let's take an answer. Let's take an answer on the first part of the question from Augusto Zimmerman and uh, Bob. You get ready for the pagan uh, 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 dimension here in a moment. Uh, Augusto, thoughts here? Well, look, uh, we know it very well to be to be the case. Uh, the Western Australian government was so excited about using the globalist agenda that they didn't have patience enough patience to uh, have the voice. Uh, proposal uh, entrenched in the constitution. They went ahead with the, the inevitable destruction of the agricultural sector here in Western Australia by making claims and imposing rules that would certainly obliterate the economy, the agricultural sector in Western Australia. But because they have an agenda that's to uh, introduce these uh, sort of schemes that are going to totally destroy the food uh, security of, of Australia, uh, and because of the pressure that was envis envisaged on them, uh, they have just repealed a law that they have 
uh, introduced a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so what's going to happen here is quite simple. This is going to be back, brought back again as soon as the voice is um, entrenched. And then we are going to see uh, the tragic consequences of these um, schemes that uh, your listener has basically mentioned. It is connected with a more sinister agenda. It is connected with a globalist agenda, and it's going to undermine property rights and individual rights in general in, in Australia. Okay, a major disruption potentially on its way. Let's come to the issue, and because we're talking religious dimensions here, uh, there are those who've been concerned and uh, saying more openly around uh, some of the dream time religiosity that it is very similar to pagan practice and uh, we're always very cautious around that because we want our indigenous brothers and sisters to be able to make that sort of uh, deliberation as to what is a pagan practice and what can be uh, an acceptable cultural practice but uh, Bob your thoughts here on the on the issues around the pagan challenges <laughs> Well, Neil, I think probably the thing that uh, would settle that question in most people's minds is to read directly from the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which says, This sovereignty is a spiritual notion, the ancestral tie between the land or Mother Nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom remain attached thereto and must one day return thither to be united with our ancestors. Now, that's the directly from the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which is clearly a religious statement. Our constitution requires that the government will make no uh, preferences to religion. And so, therefore, as it stands, this would appear to be in direct contravention to our constitution to add something of that nature into the constitution. Before we go from this, I'll come back to Augusto because, interestingly, isn't it, uh, six in ten Aboriginal people are uh, saying, yes, we are Christian, and I'm pretty sure that uh, comes from uh, the last census. So six in ten Aboriginals are Christian who might actually feel as though something like the... Uh, these these three elements of the Uluru statements uh, taking almost a, a a contradictory position to what a Christian might take in bringing this sovereignty in line with a spirituality that some will align with a paganism. Any thoughts here on how those Christian Aboriginals, those who've identified as Christian, may actually uh, be under attack uh, from those who want to take them back to some level of paganism? Uh, absolutely, Neil. And uh, the Prime Minister has made the point very clearly that um, the voice is derived from the Uluru statement from the heart. And as the Reverend Bob Gregory refers to, uh, this statement is uh, uh, inevitably con associated, if I can say, with a spiritual dimension. Uh, it's quite clear that in order to be a member of the voice, you have to pledge allegiance or a commitment to the particular statement, which contains elements of religion, quite obvious uh, elements of religion, uh, link it to a sort of a pagan approach to reality. This is in contradiction 
with section 116 of the Constitution, which says that we should not have in Australia the establishment of religion, and you should not be exercising spiritual activities. And that's exactly the point that some of our brothers and sisters in the Aboriginal community have a concern about, that mm -hmm. this thing is actually mm -hmm. instituting a religion and by doing so, violating our constitution. The constitution is being violated in the process via the disregard of section 116 of the constitution. Okay, thank you so much to Sterling. And let's continue to take some calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Colin in Bundaberg in Queensland. Hi, Colin. Welcome. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very well. What are your thoughts, Colin? So my thoughts are, I had actually heard that there was, um, and I'm not sure whether this is true or where it came from, but there's two questions going to be on this referendum. And the first one is going to be, do you recognise Indigenous culture with a yes or no answer? In which case, if you select yes, that will override the second question. Um, and I'm not sure what that is, but in which case, then we would have a yes vote without really having a, a vote. Have you heard anything about that? Uh, let me come to uh, Augusto. Are you across uh, what uh, Colin is talking about? Well, look, they are going to make it so vague that um, the approach is that for, of these uh, people is to make it difficult for the masses to be able to understand what they are actually going to introduce. And that's why all the funding is in favour of the yes uh, position. Uh, basically, nothing is done. Uh, to support an alternative view of the matter. I would not be surprised, I'm not, I have no idea about uh, what kind of phrasing it's going to be uh, uh, there for us to say yes or no, but what I can assure you is that we should not trust that these people are going to be transparent because they have, over the last two years, I must say again, suppressed the free exchange of ideas and they're actually introducing now in parliament a misinformation bill so that we can finally uh, be clear about that, that Australia is ceasing to have a normal democracy and is becoming an elective dictatorship in the process. Okay, those are tough words. Colin, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. You might like to have your say. Pinky is in Queensland. Hey, Pinky, welcome along. Hey, good day, Neil. How are you going? Very well, Pinky. What are your thoughts? Um, first up, uh, uh, old Kitty down in Tasmania was the, was the last of the Aborigines down there. She's my fourth time uh, grandmother. Um, so I have got an Aboriginal history in the past, but recently I've just gone to Northern Territory and um, up to my son's place and sat down with the elders up there uh, over a, um, a claim that the Aboriginal Land Council is going to put a $10,000 per... Um, per uh, sector on the crabbers up there for the crabs and I'm just I spoke to them one on one because they're totally against it but it's out of their hands because the land council is actually um, telling them what to do and they're devastated but they can't do nothing about it and and this is going to get even worse I, I imagine the higher it goes up the political channel um, the, the worse it's going to be for them yeah, uh, let's get a thought here. Uh, Bob Gregory, uh, this sort of 
this sort of imposition, uh, pay the rent uh, and all of the ways that there'll be financial contribution required of people probably across all sorts of different dimensions here. Uh, any thoughts here around what Pinky is sharing, around crabbing and all sorts of things? Uh, I do, Neil. I, I'll, I will come back to that in a minute. But if I may make a comment about the earlier uh, call for, caller from Bundaberg, there is a, a scam, what I call it a scam, email or text message going around claiming that there'll be, there'll be two questions on the, uh, on the paper to vote. Uh, it's been very clearly advertised by the government as it stands at the moment. And of course, we've got no guarantee that won't change between now and the actual uh, referendum date. But if I read to you what it actually says, on referendum day, voters will be asked to vote yes or no on a single question. This question will be a proposed law to alter the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? And people will be required to write either yes or no. So it's only a single question. There isn't a second question. And I am of the view that that text message has been sent out by somebody who's probably on the yes side of the vote to sow confusion into the minds of those who are uh, perhaps undecided mm -hmm. about how they would vote. Mm. Um, on Pinky's question around, uh, you know, crabbing uh, in the Northern yes. Territory, um, yep. the, you know, the imposition of uh, fees and mm. uh, uh, those sorts of things that might need to be paid to an Aboriginal body. Sure. I would probably reference there the the um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultural heritage laws that were introduced in Western Australia and actually are now uh, on the verge of being withdrawn because of the local outcry. And exactly that same thing is occurring right through the state. Uh, uh, charges, fees, even for farmers on their own land yes. to actually make reasonable changes are being required to pay literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to the Aboriginal industry in order to actually continue to work their own property. Uh, what Pinky is talking about is absolutely true, and it's the tip of the iceberg of what will happen if this cultural, uh, sorry, if this, uh, this uh, proposed constitutional change goes through. All right, Pinky, thank you so much for your call. Let's take one more call. Time's flying by. Let's hear from Chris in Melbourne. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Chris, are you with us? Uh, Chris, must be something wrong with that uh, line there. We won't be able to take your call. Uh, thank you so much for trying. Hey, just a few minutes left in the conversation. Let me come back to... Uh, as we're talking about religious dimensions here, uh, nothing more religious in the sense of bringing into the debate a level of spirituality and the thought that we are in a spiritual battle and and the secularised Australian is not going to recognise that at all. The Christian will say, yes, of course, there's a spiritual battle. Uh, just coming back to you first here, uh, Bob Gregory, uh, a spiritual battle, how do you see that? I see two uh, passages of Scripture working in conjunction here, Neil. You know, the, the Word of God tells us that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And uh, so one would ask the question, why would we expect unbelieving 
political leaders, uh, you know, they're human beings like the rest of us, to not be tempted by the pressures that are placed on them within their positions, the, 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 the pressures for personal gain, uh, for promises of, of um, you know, better things to come if they will simply do as they're told or, or in many cases as they're blackmailed into doing. The, the other scripture is the very well-known one, of course, that comes to us from Ephesians chapter 6, you know, for uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of wickedness of this dark realm. We are working against a very highly organized, very strategic enemy who is seeking to divide, to separate, to kill, to steal and destroy, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 10. And so we're seeing a very dark side to the possibilities that could come out of this proposed constitutional amendment. Augusto Zimmerman talking spiritual battles here and how that relates to the way the law might change. Any thoughts here? Because if we have a constitution which already guarantees a certain level of equality or let's just say uh, an absolute level of equality of of all of those who might be Australian citizens, uh, then when you've got a spiritual dimension to changing uh, political and constitutional recognition, is this something that Christians ought to be concerned about? Uh, absolutely, Neil, because if you really want to stop with the divide, we need not to promote it, and we need mm. to actually make sure that uh, according to the teachings of our Lord and Saviour, we are neither Jews nor Gentiles, nor, neither female nor female, or nor male. So basically all united. You are all one in Christ. So that's the point, the position that Christians should take. But of course, the ruling classes, they love to divide people. And they want to send us down the dark corridor of racism again. So this is actually a very racist proposal because it's telling us that the Aborigines will never be able to be part of the, of the group. They have to be segregated to a second tier uh, body called the voice. And we will never have, for instance, a prime minister who could potentially be the, um, the uh, person of an Aboriginal blood. I would love to see Jacinta Price actually being a prime minister. I think she would have mm. been fantastic. So this whole thing is to tell us that they still embrace the social Darwinian view of aboriginality, that they think the aborigines cannot be part of the club. They want the ruling class to divide us into ethnic groups, into mm. religious groups, in order to facilitate the attainment of more power and control and concentrate this power on themselves. They are using the aborigines, and I'm not going to be silent about this because the mm. aborigines have suffered too much in the hands of these parasitical elites that we have in Australia. Okay, well careful, careful not to divide Australia, which is one united with the current constitution, uh, dividing into ethnic groups. And uh, you're suggesting here, even Augusto, that such a move may be designed by political elites to divide and conquer. Uh, so use of the Aboriginal people for political advantage and that may have nothing to do with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but they're being used as a pawn in the game. 
there are some challenging thoughts there. And I know that listeners who are concerned about the fight of a spiritual battle, about the thoughts that are coming from Christian leaders around what is happening with The Voice, uh, you might want to get a hold of this new book. And I said the other day, this new book, it's, it's got a, like a limited shelf life because beyond the Constitution, it might not be so useful to you, but certainly to understand the spirit behind The Voice, religious dimensions of The Voice proposal, you might want to get a hold of it. It's published by Connor Court. You'll be able to get a hold of it. Uh, simply Google The Spirit Behind The Voice. Uh, you'll find an online uh, ability for you to get a hold of that book. Our two guests today, Dr. Augusto Zimmerman, Head of Law at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth, and the Reverend Dr. Bob Gregory, a former pastor and Christian school principal and former managing director of the Christian curriculum company Southern Cross Educational Enterprises. Uh, to both of you, uh, thank you so much for making a great contribution today and there's more conversations a little like this coming over the weeks and months ahead in the lead up to the referendum. Uh, thank you for joining us, Dr. Augusto Zimmerman. Thank you very much. It is always a pleasure. And the Reverend Dr. Bob Gregory, thank you so much for your insights today. Thank you so much, Neil. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.